The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. My hope is that you got a Speedo, a lake, and some baby oil today. So um, just kidding. That's a horrible, disgusting joke. But if you're going to hang out in the sun, please wear sunscreen. Uh, Other than that, we'll just forget the rest of what I just said. Um, We're in a new series uh, last week started called Not a Hostage. I want you to do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not a hostage. Come on. Now, some of you, I said some of you last week, and you did it this week again, you went like this. Just, just play along a little bit. Um, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. Um, if you've got a Bible with you, you can turn there. If you've got a smartphone with a Bible app, you can go there. There are some Bibles there in the seat in front of you. I also encourage you to be a note taker. Um, really, e- each week, I think it'd be good to take notes. Uh, paper doesn't forget, but you do. So um, writing things down is good. 20 years ago this month, um, I stood on this stage and uh, uh, we said our wedding vows, Heather and I, to one another. And um, the moment I remember the most, when I was standing right up here as the doors are opening and here's Heather uh, in, in her you know, gown, I guess I didn't say her outfit, but that's just, no, not outfit, in her, in her gown. And honestly, it was a moment where I was so overcome with emotion, I literally was standing up here and I just started crying. Thankfully, there's not a lot of pictures of that moment, but um, I was overcome with emotion. Well, three years after that, um, we were at Providence in Everett, and Heather was in labor, and um, th- that was the moment Emerson was born, and that's really uh, the moment I believed in love at first sight. It was, it was incredible to me and, uh, and overwhelming as well. In that same season, way back when, I was a youth pastor here at the church, and um, we, we used to take students, we would go to camp, but we had a, a large group of kids, and we would actually go and create kind of our own camp, and we went to Banks Lake one year in eastern Washington. It had a great time, and there was an area where there's kind of cliffs that are of varying heights, some of them pretty low, five, eight feet up, it's nothing big, and they get kind of bigger, and um, I, I was the leader of the camp and the youth pastor. I was up on the high one, of course, because I'm an idiot, and um, I'm up there there. And I, I, I'm not the kind of guy that's super bold about jumping. And so I'm up on the top and there's leaders kind of in the, over here and there's like kids that climb up and they, they kind of jump down. And I'm like, I'm going to go. Trust me, I'll go. And you're watching like students do this. Like, come on. Anyway, so I've got some leaders strategically placed in the water so that when I land, if anything goes wrong, they're going to rescue me. So they're down there and I, I go, hey, count to three. And they're like, one, two. No, 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 no. Count slower. Come on. One, Two, okay, wait, no, no, count down from 10. You know, I, and I, I, I was up there for like 45 minutes. I'm dry as a bone at this point, and I'm, I'm kind of scared to jump. And um, finally, and this is not an exaggeration, the sun was going down, it was gonna get dark. I'm like, I have to jump because I'm not gonna be the wiener that like climbs down the cliff, and, you know. So I end up jumping, and once again, like overwhelmed, exhilarating, super fun moment. In this room, there are stories of deep, intense love. There are stories of deep, intense heartache. There are stories of of crippling fear. Um, There are stories of exhilaration. Um, There are stories of blinding anger. And there are stories of profound joy. In fact, bringing up some of these words or a couple of the stories that I just told probably brought you to some of those similar moments in your own life where there's certain emotional moments that are so overwhelming. And, and I want to talk about this today in this series, Not a Hostage, because um, emotions are a very powerful thing. We're all aware that that's true. The thing is, though, we can't say emotions are bad or emotions are good. Emotions just are. 
The deal, though, is we, we, we are really called to do something with those emotions. And sometimes emotions can bring the good. I think of falling in love and moving towards marriage and saying vows and those moments of being a newlywed that are emotionally charged and overwhelming in a really, really good way. There's the, flight or, there's the fight or flight response in all of us where there's something that happens that, that you know, we want to protect ourselves or we want to protect those around us. And so we fight or we, we flee and get away to try to you know, create a, a place of safety. So in some ways, they bring out good. But in other ways, they can invite the bad. And that's where I mentioned this idea of, of, of crippling fear or anger that can land us, you know, in jail because of a bar fight. Or, and I mean you, I mean, I mean you, not me, um, on that, you know, or, or, you know, anger that gets us fired from a job or that it ends a, a relationship that we've had. So the question for all of us becomes, how do you and I navigate a world of emotion that on one hand, there's, there's great outcomes. On the other hand, there's negative outcomes. But how do we overcome the bad side of our emotions and declare that we are not hostages to how we feel? And what I want to do is look at Paul in Philippians 1. And uh, I love these verses. I'm going to start reading here at verse 12. Paul says, I want you to know brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear uh, become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and all the more proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or pure, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I go on living in the body, This will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith. God, today as we pray, it's, it's, it's my deep desire for all of us. Lord, to, to hear a message, but also, God, to understand that maybe for some, it, it's it never had the tools to really look differently at, at kind of what goes on and how we feel and how we navigate it. For some in this room, it's the, the, the trail of broken relationships because of, of attitudes and emotions that flare up, and we don't know what to do. And whether it's the ability to lash out in anger or it's the discomfort and so we avoid for years or whatever things go, whatever goes on, God, I pray for your spirit to help us all understand we are not hostages. The power of Christ is greater and can help us overcome what it means to live in these old patterns of brokenness. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Paul says here in Philippians 1 verse 12, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So the question here is, well, what happened? And many, many of us know, some of you don't, that Paul is writing this letter. It's, we call it Philippians, but it's really a letter that Paul wrote from himself to the church at Philippi. He cared so deeply about who they were and who they were becoming that he wanted to encourage them. This is the most upbeat, Some would say, arguably, the most upbeat of all the letters in the entirety of Scripture. Over and over, he talks about rejoicing. He talks about the joy of the Lord. He talks about leaning in to our faith. And yet, what happened was this. He's preaching the gospel, and he's arrested and thrown in prison. And so, when he says what happened to me, that's what he's saying. But, but because of, of all that's going on, this is bad stuff. And yet, here's what you need to understand. And this is the first thing in this message that if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write down. While something bad was happening, Paul saw it differently. And for you and I, there's things that go on in our lives that they're bad things. There's stuff that you would look at and be, well, if I went to prison, I mean, that would be a pretty negative thing. But... Is it possible to see the circumstance differently than simply this right here is a bad thing? Paul reached a place where he had figured some things out in his faith. And his faith isn't dependent upon his situation or how his situation makes him feel. And that's something we all could be challenged with. Because it's really easy for you and I to find ourselves emotionally charged in whatever moment and make a decision based on that emotion. And all of a sudden, a day later, a week later, a month, a year later, we look back and go, I wish I never did that. Anybody with me? Yeah, most of us in the room, probably, if we're honest, all of us. So he says, what happened to me actually served to advance the gospel. When he says actually, it's because you would think that being thrown in prison, everything's negative about it. But like I said, Paul saw differently, and he's going to bring up two things that were very different because of what was happening. He says, first of all, it became clear, verse 13, through the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for the sake of Jesus Christ. What it means is they're at least hearing and acknowledging there's something about this message, even whether they believe it or not, didn't matter to Paul. The idea was at least they're able to see and hear that I stand for my faith in Jesus Christ. The second thing in verse 14 that Paul says that was good coming out of of this circumstance is that the the gospel is advancing through those that know Paul, those that love Paul, and all of a sudden go, hey, if he can endure stuff like this, you know what? Maybe I should stand for the gospel even though that could happen to me. So the second thing is other Christians were encouraged instead of afraid. So he goes on in verse 15. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. He's talking about two groups. There were groups that would go out and preach about Jesus, knowing that the more that happens, the more severe Paul maybe would be beaten. The more severe Paul would be treated and possibly put to death. So they're out there going, hey, Jesus cares. Jesus loves you. Jesus is the way to heaven. And, and, and they knew it was going to get Paul in trouble. And that's why they were doing it. Others, though, were emboldened by their care for the message of the gospel. And, and, and they preached about Christ. But I want you to notice In verse 16, Paul says this phrase, I am put here. And the reason he says, for the defense of the gospel. 
Paul is not saying, you could read this as people grabbed me, chained me up, and drug me into prison, but that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, God has placed me here. God's got something in the midst of a bad circumstance that he wants to do through something that looks negative. And you and I, once again, could learn a lesson from Paul's playbook that just because bad things happen doesn't mean we have to rebuke it at every turn. And yet, listen to me. It's easier for you and I, many of us in here would say we're followers of Christ, we're disciples of Jesus, we've given our lives to faith in Christ, that every time something bad happens, we get bent out of shape and we rebuke it and it's not God's will and and stuff like that. And that's not true at all. In fact, if you go back and read one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Joseph in the Old Testament in Genesis. One of the patriarchs of of the faith, but his life went from like, okay, to bad, and then to worse, and then to worse, and then to worse. Year after year after year of his life, go back and read Genesis 37 through 50 about. It's a bunch of chapters in Genesis, but you read about this, that that at the end you realize God had a plan, but you don't see it all the way through. You're going, why why is it that God's given him a certain promise, but then things get bad? Anybody ever experienced that before? All of us. If you, by the way, if you attend the Grove, you got to wear deodorant. I like it. Hands up, you know. It's a thought for you. But but it, this whole picture of of Paul understanding, I am put here. And for you and I, it, it's worth looking at circumstances and realizing that hey, instead of just going, this is all bad, this is all horrible, this is all terrible. What if we instead went, what is God doing in the midst of what's happening? What is God doing in the midst of what's happening? And it may be that what what God is doing is trying to help others see faith in Christ through how you're going to handle it. And it may be that what God is doing is trying to deepen you in in your world because there's something about the process of pain that changes us. And I don't mean physical necessarily. Anybody ever been? The process of going through a trial, it deepens us. If you've ever been in a, in a state of brokenness and, and, and hardship and talked to somebody that's never been there, oftentimes they're the kind of people that will say, hey, well, don't worry, things are going to get better. Uh, don't worry, there's better days ahead. Oh, don't worry, you know, people go through this stuff, but, but, but it, it's okay. Time heals all wounds. Here's the thing. Are all of those things true? Kind of, Yeah. But, but it's the people that haven't gone through certain things that can throw those out there so flippantly because they haven't been there. When you have a conversation with somebody that's been through the ringer, when you have a conversation with somebody that's gone through the trials that at certain moments can feel so overwhelming like the mountain in our way, and yet as they get through and you have a conversation with them, there's something deeper they can teach you. And it may not even be the words they say because people that have gone through deep things realize it's not necessarily about the words people say. Anybody with me? And so, so as we look at this, Paul says that, that, that God put him here. And yet for many of us, we would bristle at the idea. I don't want to go through tough things. Nobody would volunteer for it. And yet it's amazing what God does to deepen us when we do go through those things. Here's something you could write down, once again, if you're taking notes. The simple fact is this. Our outlook shapes our emotions, not our circumstances. 
The outlook we have on our circumstances, it's what's going to shape us, not the circumstances themselves. We, we've been, you and I, in places where you can look at something and, and get angry and frustrated, overwhelmed and bitter and, and whatever, because you're looking at it with, with an impatience, with, a, with maybe a, a self-centered idea of, of what about me and how this makes me feel, rather than stopping and stepping back and wondering through the invitation of the Holy Spirit, God, what are you trying to teach me in the midst of this thing that right now I'm emotionally overwhelmed about? It's our outlook that shapes our emotions. It's, it's this whole idea that we hear sometimes, you know, if it feels good, do it. And I think at the, at the end of the day, there, there's not anybody that could really believe that. That if you and I live by how we feel, many of us in here would be murderers. You're like, did he just say what I think he just said? <laughs> yes! That if you and I live, listen, you've been so angry with somebody at a certain point that you just want to punch him in the throat, right? Come on, be honest with me. Some of you are like, I just want to put him in a headlock and wrestle him in the ground. Some of you watch UFC, Ultimate Fighting, just so you, the aggression, like, yeah, get him. Because you can't do that to somebody, you're going to jail. Some of us in here, we would be murderers. We would be adulterers. We would be sloths. We'd have, listen to this, a broken trail of relationships and no good ones if we lived by how we feel. That's just a simple fact. Because if we live by how we feel, things get pretty ugly pretty quickly. How about this? I get irritable when I'm tired. I get irritable when I'm hungry. I get irritable when I'm overwhelmed. I get irritable when I'm disappointed. I get irritable when I'm annoyed. I get irritable when things don't go my way. I get irritable for all kinds of reasons. How do you and I treat people when we're irritable? Let's just go with this. Not good. Remember those Snickers commercials? You're not you and you're hungry? That's exactly it. It's like you're some other like, ah! That's how we are at times because we're not us when, when we're you know, going through certain things. And, and the simple fact is that, that, like I said a moment ago, we would have no good relationships if we lived by how we felt. It won't work out well because of this. I never consistently feel perfectly wonderful and neither do you. I never consistently feel perfectly wonderful. And because I don't feel wonderful, it's amazing how it can cause me to treat people, especially those closest to me. Because we get real comfortable and we throw attitudes around a lot easier with people we know. Which is why sometimes marriage can become so damaged. Which is, because, which is why sometimes uh, relationships with our kids can become so damaged. Because we get so comfortable, we, we just throw around these attitudes because of how we feel. Is anybody with me besides myself, I guess, in this? I said that all wrong, but anyway. I don't always feel like having self-control. I could eat a whole pan of brownies every week. And, and listen, don't make the, I'm going to make him some brownies. Don't do that. I could have an office at Osterwick's Bakery and eat donuts every day, although they have a no cell phone policy, so there's that. But for, it's like they're, they're, I want bacon to be a food group. Like, anybody else with me on that? Bacon is amazing. 
I want bacon to be a food group. I, I, I wish peanut butter shakes were a superfood. There's like, you got like, like blueberries. Yeah, I like blueberries. That's good. That's a superfood. Kale, that's a super, I don't care. Kale, keep kale away from me. It smells weird and tastes even more like medicine. And if you eat kale, God bless you for it. I, I wonder, why can't somebody write an article that says Dairy Queen blizzards, if you eat them daily, will give you six-pack abs? Like self-control is not the easiest thing for any of us. And if we live by how we feel, I'd go into cardiac arrest in about three months from now or, or less. Because I would indulge myself in whatever I wanted. It doesn't work out well. So what do we do? If you and I want to live a faith-centered life, we cannot afford to live by our feelings. If we want to live a faith-centered life, there's a certain area of, of, of the work of the Spirit that we desperately need. Craig Rochelle, I caught this last week as I'm putting my notes together for messages, and um, Craig Rochelle put this out there on Instagram. He's a pastor, and I listen to a bunch of his messages at times and really appreciate his ministry. But he says this, discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. Once again, you should take notes. Or just get out your phone and take a picture of that right there. Discipline, not my quote, Craig Rochelle's, discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. In the moments that we feel certain things, it's amazing what we would choose. But you got to think differently. What do I want most? What do I want my, my marriage to look like five years down the road? Not what do I feel like today and we're upset and there's a fight going on. What do I want most about my, my, my life with the Lord? And, and I don't want to be where I'm at today. I want to continue to grow in my faith. And what does that look like over what do I want now? I don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel like driving to church, getting right. It's hot today. I go to the beach. I don't feel. Discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. Now, 18, verse 18 has a principle for us that's worth mentioning. Paul, as he looks at this, says, what does it matter? Remember, he's talking about there's people that are preaching Christ to get me in trouble. There's people preaching Christ for a good reason. But he's literally saying, what does it matter? And the point here is this, for many of us in this room, don't get hung up on things that have happened to you that aren't fair. Don't get hung up on things that have happened to you that aren't just. Paul refuses to look at it and go, oh, these guys are getting me in trouble. And if I get out of here and survive this, oh boy, they're going to want to run from me. Oh, I'm going to get them. Paul refuses to look at that. Instead, he's going, look, what I care about is that the gospel is advancing. In fact, that's the next phrase. He says, the important thing is Christ is preached. And I would say in the same way in your life and in my life, the important thing is, as you face whatever it is that you face, that you're able to shine the light of Jesus Christ, that you're able to hold on to your faith and lean into the Lord and, and people around you are watching. And, and that's the idea that they're seeing Jesus through how you approach whatever trial it is that you're facing. And maybe it is literally that you're still willing to preach Christ, even though not everybody agrees with you. And then a, a shift takes place. And Paul is saying, in essence, I may be in prison, but I'm free. 
Paul is in prison, but, but he's not a hostage to his circumstances. And, and this is the point as we navigate through these next few verses. I read it earlier, but I want to read it again with this idea of what Paul is looking at. And what I want you to notice is he's looking at what's ahead. He's not looking at where he's at. He's looking at what could be. And that's that idea that I mentioned from Hebrews 11 last week, by faith. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. So there's an I will. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, will be exalted in my body, whether by death or by life. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, it will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is by far better, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Ten times in ten verses, Paul is looking ahead. He says, I will. For you and I, in the midst of whatever it might be, instead of letting our emotions overwhelm us and and dictate the trajectory of our day or our week or or, or whatever, instead of that, what, what if we focused on, like in Hebrews 11, you and I living by faith? What is God doing in the midst of this? And what am I learning in the midst of this that I will get through, that I will see a better future, that I will achieve what God has for me, that I will get to the promises that I hear about, that I will have something better beyond this? Is anybody with me today? It's this I will idea. I'm not looking at where I'm at today. Paul is sitting in a prison. There's times, multiple, that he's been arrested, that he's been beaten, that he's been thrown in jail, that he's got his feet and hands in stocks, that he's bleeding and near death at certain points. And yet here, as he's writing to the church at Philippi, he says, don't focus on how you feel based on what's happening. Focus on what God is doing and what will happen as you see it through, period. I will. See, what Paul is is doing is he's practicing what he's already written, what he's already preached. He wrote multiple letters to the church at Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, he says this, we live by faith, not by sight. You want a verse to memorize this week that'd be really easy for you? There you go. We live by faith, not by sight. I will believe God has something, even though right now I don't get it, I don't see it. I know for the Grove Church, there are incredible days ahead. And we're getting there, and yet we're in the middle of like, God, what are you doing? God, where are you in this? I mentioned the property. God, we need some answers. I'm honestly believing this summer there's a breakthrough happening. And there's been times for months and years even. I don't know, Lord. I guess, watch what happens. 
Now, as we get towards the end here, he brings up a couple of verses that, that have been my favorite verses. I don't know if you're allowed to have favorite verses, but I have favorite verses. But Philippians 1, 20 and 21, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by death or by life. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. When you see that, that first part there, eagerly expect and hope, we have that as four words in English. But in the Greek, it's one compound word. And I'm not a Greek scholar by any stretch, but I want to do my best to walk you through this word. Everybody say apokaradokia. You're like, what does that even mean? Okay. Only about 30% of you said it. So we're going to try that again. Apokaradokia. This is a little better, although some of you that I'm looking at right now. Apokaradokia is a compound word in Greek. It starts with this apo. And it's the idea of turning away from things that don't matter. Turning away from stuff that's futility. We're reading Ecclesiastes right now in the reading plan, and it's all about futility, stuff that just doesn't matter. But, but apo means to turn away from things that don't mind. Kara is the mental capacity using my brain power, using the gift of thought that God has given me to turn away from things that don't matter. And with my mind, dokia is this idea of looking forward or stretching forward. And so when he says, I eagerly expect and hope, in the Greek, it's actually, I'm turning away from things that don't matter, and I'm setting my mind towards those things that are ahead. That's why he said over and over, I will, and God will, and there's something ahead, and I want to teach you to not live by how you feel in the moment, but to step back and invite the Holy Spirit to help you see differently so you don't burn bridges, so you don't go in circles, so you aren't falling prey to the same thing five years from now that you're stuck in today so that you aren't where you always have been and simply going, well, it's how my family is. Well, it's how I've always coped. Well, it's something I've always tripped over. Well, that's just what it is. Well, I am who I am. I am what I am. Anything Popeye, anybody? Okay, so that's just a little freebie for those of you that know who Popeye is. If not, you're too young. But, but he's saying we've got to learn this idea of eagerly expect, I hope. He's in prison. He's writing this. I eagerly expect and hope. I'm turning from stuff that doesn't matter. And I'm setting my mind on things that I'm trusting God for ahead. And that's what will help me get through how I could feel. They might kill me. That's Paul's circumstance. They might kill me. They might continue to torture me. They might let me sit here and rot until I just die. He didn't know at that point. And yet he's leaning in going, but God is here. Although I'm in prison, I'm not a hostage. Everybody say, I'm not a hostage. As we wrap this up, I'm actually reading a book that I'm finishing up the next couple of days. It's called Necessary Endings. And in this book, I want to read this to you because it might be a bit helpful, just kind of a tool to think about. But I'm going to read this. It says, how, you get, uh, how do you get to the heart? Sorry, how do you get the heart to align with needed change. My suggestion is to play the movie. Make your, uh, make your heart and mind feel the reality today that is surely coming tomorrow. And remember, both the hazards and opportunities must be felt. Here's how. 
Get alone and get honest with yourself. Look in the mirror if you have to. Ask that person in the mirror if he or she wants you to lie or to tell you the truth. If you lie to yourself, you're never going to get there. But if the answer is tell the truth, then sit down and think of all the realities of the situation that you've been avoiding. Then stop excusing, stop medicating, stop rationalizing or any other interference and project into the future, one month, six months, one year, two, five or more. See yourself at that time having the same struggles and internal discussions you're having now with no better results. Picture it, feel it, smell it. You already know what it's like, so you don't even have to use your imagination. You're living it right now. I just want you to picture yourself living it for real five years from now. Is that what you want? I appreciate the author saying or or, or painting that idea for us because there is something about thinking, if I continue to do what I'm doing today, where will I be tomorrow? And is that what God has for me? And if I continue to make excuses for why my emotions dictate what I do, I'm going to continue to burn bridges. I'm going to continue to be addicted. I'm going to continue to stumble. And I'm not going to get to where God wants me to get to. So I think it's a great reminder. I want to end with this. Heather and I were talking about this message yesterday a bit. And uh, she mentioned the idea of making it personal. And so here's what I want to do. I want you to fill in the blank. When I blank, so fill in the blank. When I blank, I'm living by how I feel. When I fill in the blank, I'm living by how I feel. So maybe some of you, and some of the easy ones, when I you know, freak out into rage and burn bridges relationally, I'm living by how I feel. When I you know, flirt with so-and-so because I'm not satisfied in my marriage, or I'm living by how I feel. But here's some, some maybe more subtle ones. When I eat to comfort myself, I'm living by how I feel. When I watch TV instead of have the honest conversation that my spouse and I need to have, because it's easy to turn something on and get distracted, I'm living by how I feel. And you could fill in, not just spouse. When I, when I you know, watch TV instead of have a conversation with my kids, I'm living by how I feel. When I justify staying in a shaky or bad dating relationship because there's some good things, I'm living by how I feel and the fear of if I say goodbye. When I give in to the peer pressure of fitting in because I I desperately want to be accepted. And that's not just for kids, by the way. We all know that. I'm living by how I feel. What is it for you? What is it that the Holy Spirit could be reminding you of? Hey, here's a spot where you're living by how you feel and it's not helping you. Father, today, I believe wholeheartedly as we look at the whole of Scripture that what Jesus did on the cross and the price he paid through that torture and death literally was meant to free us. And there's more to be said in this conversation, and we're getting there, about what God has done and who we are in Christ. But today in particular, I believe in the world that we live in, it is, it is simple, and it's even accepted that we just live by our emotions. And while most of us understand it can't be true, there are some people that, well, I mean, if it feels good, just do it. But God, that, that's a terrible mantra. And I pray, Father, that your spirit would help us, would reveal to us where in those places we're literally 
thinking to ourselves, where I fill in the blank. Holy Spirit, do a work in each heart right now. Whatever that blank says, whatever that word or that phrase is, That was my wife. <laughs> I'm not going to live by how I feel. So we're just... Lord, no, I'm just kidding. God, in the midst of, of again, this world that we live in, that it, it's just easy to justify it and, and there's patterns of brokenness and, and, and habits that aren't good. I pray that we would live by faith. I pray that we would look at Paul and realize he was looking at something different. He wasn't so focused on the situation as he was on Christ. And that's part of what Hebrews actually says. In chapter 12, like in chapter 11 and 12 last week, by faith, leaning in, inviting the Holy Spirit to be at work. God, we invite you to help us to live differently, not just by how we feel. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.